When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For seven years, you promised the American people that you would repeal Obamacare. People are hurting. Inaction is not an option. I've been here just six months. I'm ready to act. I have pen in hand, believe me. The way I looked at it, you know, we have no Democrat help. They're obstructionists. And frankly, I don't think we should leave town because we're close. We're very close. Hello and welcome to TrumpCast, the show where we tackle Donald Trump and all the mayhem around him. I'm Jamal Bowie, Slate's chief political correspondent and your host for today's show. On Monday, the Senate health care bill, otherwise known as Trump Care, failed, defeated by deep divisions within the Republican Party as well as fierce Democratic opposition. Moderate Republicans thought the bill went too far in its Medicaid cuts. Conservatives thought it didn't go far enough. Republican governors like John Kasich of Ohio and Brian Sandoval of Nevada stumped against the Senate proposal, citing those Medicaid cuts. Insurers spoke out against the bill, blasting provisions like an amendment introduced by Texas Senator Ted Cruz that could destroy health insurance markets. Hospitals and other health providers joined the opposition. All of this while the public voiced strong opposition to the bill with little counterweight. President Trump was almost entirely silent with little to say in defense of the proposal. The collapse of Trump care is a blow to its namesake, as well as the larger Republican agenda. We're six months into the Trump presidency, and there's still no major legislation on the board. But it is devastating for its chief architect and strategist, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Despite a Republican president, a Republican House, and a base eager to repeal Obamacare, McConnell couldn't close the deal. His secretive approach to crafting the bill harmed him with those moderate Republicans, and he lacked full buy-in from members to his right. Most importantly, he couldn't articulate an actual vision for the American healthcare system. All he had was opposition to the status quo, and that wasn't enough to create the necessary coalition for major change. McConnell will keep his position in leadership. There's no doubt about that. But the Trump care debacle reveals something critical that the man who flourished in opposition can't quite succeed in the real work, governing. We'll talk about McConnell with one of his chroniclers, Alec McGillis of ProPublica. But first, we have some tweets. Hillary Clinton can illegally get the questions to the debate and delete 33,000 emails. But my son, Don, is being scorned by the fake news media. With all of its phony, unnamed sources and highly slanted and even fraudulent reporting, hashtag fake news is distorting democracy in our country. Fake news story of secret dinner with Putin is sick. All G20 leaders and spouses were invited by the Chancellor of Germany. 
press new. The fake news is becoming more and more dishonest. Even a dinner arranged for top 20 leaders in Germany is made to look sinister. Most politicians would have gone to a meeting like the one Don Jr. attended in order to get info on an opponent. That's politics. To talk Mitch McConnell and his future as majority leader, we have Alec McGillis, a reporter with ProPublica and the author of The Cynic, The Political Education of Mitch McConnell. Hi, Alec. Welcome to Trumpcast. Thanks for having me. So where did McConnell go wrong? Uh, he has this reputation uh, as a kind of a master strategist, someone who understands how to almost bend the Senate to his will. But the failure of the Better Care Reconciliation Act seems to really throw that all into question. So I'd be really interested to hear your take on sort of how Mitch McConnell got to this place where uh, the signature piece of legislation for both the Republican majority and for the administration seems to be going down in flames. Well, it, it does sort of make one wonder if the reputation was all along somewhat inflated or if, in fact, that we had it somewhat wrong, that, that it wasn't so much that he was a, you know, a master strategist or tactician along the lines of a, you know, LBJ getting things through the Senate back in the, you know, back in the 50s or in early 60s, but that he, in fact, was all along simply very good at doing the obstruction, that, that tactically knowing how to obstruct things and, and sort of set the party up for, for successes, electoral successes. But if you go back and look through, you know, his history, in fact, there have been, there have been very few times where he managed to actually to pass big substantive things. And you know, if you think about moments like the immigration reform, for instance, back in when, when George W. Bush was in, in the White House and we had our first efforts to pass immigration reform, McConnell was the minority leader then. And, and he was strikingly um, actually absent and, and ineffectual in, in those, those debates. So th- there have, in fact, been signs all along that he was not that great at, at actually getting into tough substantive issues and crafting legislation and getting it passed. What the bigger question here, I think, is simply whether he, in fact, wanted this to pass at all. And I'm quite torn about that still. And, and when, you, when you look at how, how bungled it was, one can't help but wonder whether, in fact, his heart was not entirely in this. Right. I mean, let, let's let's go deeper into that because I, I have to admit that my kind of my like first order thinking on these sorts of things is that like what politicians generally do, what they're interested in or committed to doing, and that there is a there isn't that much kind of like you know fait accompli or, or subterfuge here. It's it things are generally pretty straightforward. So, what makes you think that McConnell may not have really wanted this to pass? Because he seemed, I mean, the, the extent to which he seemed to be willing to sacrifice a lot of political capital here, um, to me at least, suggests that, like, he, he did want it to pass. The reason I wondered all along whether, in fact, he wanted it to pass is that having done, spent so much time researching him and his history for my book a couple years ago, I, my, I really came to the overriding conclusion that the way, the best way to understand McConnell is that he is just a pure the purest example we have in Washington of the permanent campaign mindset, where everything you do is about setting yourself up for the next cycle. 
you, you yourself and your party up for, for doing well in the next election. And there's this constant kind of deferral where you're always looking ahead. You're not so concerned about using whatever power or votes that you've amassed at the present time to accomplish things on your personal or party's agenda. But, but you're always just thinking about, about what comes next. And, and in this case, that would mean that you would be, by, by actually passing, pushing through one of these, these bills that were so incredibly unpopular and so obviously unworkable that, that you were really risking a, a massive backlash in the next election, which to him would just be like death. And because what he treasures above all is being majority leader, being in the majority and being the leader of his caucus. And it took him so long to get to that point. And even though the party is looking at a, a very friendly sort of line of, 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 of votes next, next fall because there's so few seat, tough seats that are open of their own, still he would be terrified of losing that majority. And, and this would really put that at risk. And so for him, that really is the overriding objective. In this case, you know, it's possible, the reason I was torn is that this, of course, health care was, you know, repealing Obamacare was such, had just become such a totem for the Republican Party uh, and conservative movement that I thought perhaps in this, this case he had finally decided to cash in those chips and, and to use the amassed power for something actually substantive, uh, you know, as flawed as it might, as it might be. But it's still, I just couldn't help but wonder all along whether, in fact, he was kind of muddling through this with the, with the notion that if it didn't pass, it would not be the worst thing in the world. I'm curious, Alec, do you think if if what McConnell is most committed to or most sort of cares most about is being majority leader, being in the majority, do you think he has any substantive you know, policy commitment to anything he wants to see happen? Or is it just really just purely a game of, of power here um, in that he – isn't actually all that committed to conservative policy or, or conservative ideology in the way that, say, someone like Ted Cruz might be or Mike Lee might be? Uh, he's definitely not as committed to conservative ideology as, as they are, even even as someone, you know, compared with someone like Paul Ryan. Um, he, one should always have to keep in mind with him that he, in fact, um, as a younger man, was was extraordinarily moderate, even liberal, in, in the back when we still had a, a moderate liberal wing of the Republican Party in the 1560s, early 70s, he was very much in that camp, in, in those, those battles over sort of the soul of the Republican Party. And, uh, you know, everything from abortion rights to civil rights to even unions, um, he was strikingly moderate. And, and it was only once he got to, came to Washington that he, that he shifted quite rapidly right and of course, other you know people do evolve over time, and one one can evolve and and now hold a position of conservative conviction. But in his case, my sense has always been that the ideological under, underpinnings were quite weak, and that what, what in fact he really cared about was was the win. And and so that which leads leads of course to the fact that the one issue that he has truly substantive issue that he has truly committed himself to over the last couple of decades is campaign finance and fighting campaign finance limits, which of course is an issue that is directly related to to campaigns themselves and to winning office. 
he just he realized realized at some point that money was going to be very important to him as a, him as a candidate because he's such a naturally you know not a natural talent political <laughs> talent and so he would always need to rely on big big fundraising to to help win re-election and he he also came to realize that for his party just how important if you're the party of somewhat less the party of the masses so to speak that you're going to need um need need big money to to stay in power so that became his issue because it was an issue that was purely political and purely purely partisan in its in its nature so to switch gears a little bit um Trump care seems to be down for the count, although, of course, uh, this occurred in the House a couple months ago and Paul Ryan was able to revive it. But for now, it seems like Trump care is done. McConnell has, has spoken a bit about wanting to do tax reform. There are these other larger Republican agenda items. What do you what do you think this sort of debacle says about McConnell's ability to make good on those other agenda items, um, tax reform in particular, because that's a, that's a major issue. That's right. major legislation that requires a similar kind of balancing act, but it's not clear, you know, from, from, from here that McConnell is able to, to accomplish that can capable of doing the kind of balancing it takes to advance something like tax reform. No, I think this definitely this, this episode really does raise questions about how he's going to be able to shepherd through some of these other other big items. Tax reform may well be somewhat easier substantively because you're not going to have as as clear a tension as one did with health care. Where I mean, at the end of the day, the reason this was so tough to get through was not just that you know Mitch McConnell um, didn't have the chops to do it, but that uh, that there was this very inherent problem with which. Namely, that you had, you could only lose two votes, two Republican votes, and at either end of the spectrum, you you had a, a few more people than that who had concerns, and if you were, if you addressed those concerns, you were going to lose the people at the other end of the spectrum. But I but I do think that what what this episode has shown is that that his aura is somewhat has been dinged a little bit, and so there's going to be somewhat less confidence in his ability to get it done. And he also really, he really kind of ticked off some people in his own caucus um, in this episode, which may in fact um, make it harder for him to get tax reform done. There's some real, mis- uh, real you know, feelings of ill will toward him over, over how he handled this, over being so secretive about it, not holding hearings, running it all out of his own office. Um, and I've just been really struck by some of these pretty harsh criticisms on the record criticisms coming from just mainline conservative folks in the caucus like um like Ron Johnson from Wisconsin and a couple other people taking shots at McConnell so beyond that it seems to me not inconceivable that if we get to late this year or early next year and we're we still have not gotten tax reform done Mitch McConnell may go back into permanent campaign mode and say Oh, we can't do this big thing now, this big risky thing now, because hey, it's an election year. It's always been comical how quickly um, he he turns that page of the calendar and says, "Oh, you know, nothing now," because um, for the next twelve months we're in campaign mode. I, I've always thought that was a real danger, kind of irrespective of McConnell. That as the year, as this year drags on and, and nothing big happens, or, or Republicans can't pass legislation, the pressures associated with campaigning are going to begin to rear their heads and the kind of the window for doing anything closes pretty rapidly. And kind of on that, sort of kind of on that point, I suppose, and to move a little bit away from McConnell and to talk about Trump, the namesake of this podcast, you know, the one thing that's striking to me about all of this is that 
you don't just have these divisions among Republicans about the, the whole idea of government-sponsored coverage, the whole idea of health insurance markets, and so on and so forth. And you don't just have McConnell's kind of tough spot in terms of balancing interests and trying to find some sort of common ground for everyone. But you also have a president that's that's very disengaged from the entire process, who doesn't seem to have any real preferences other than a win. And I'm wondering what you think about the role Trump's sort of disengagement played in all of this. Uh, I, I kind of recall, you know, at the beginning of the year and kind of looking at last year that, you know, there's speculation that maybe one reason Republican lawmakers were okay with Trump is that he would basically just be a live body to sign their legislation. But it seems that, in fact, you need something more than a live body here. You, you do. Um, at the same time, I wonder if at some level Trump's not engaging on it was not just a sign, you know, of, of how kind of out to lunch he is or, you know, how he fails to understand issues like this and doesn't know the difference between Medicare and Medicaid and so has a hard time even talking about the issue. But I think at some point, at some level, it also reflected the other problems you just listed with healthcare and Republicans, that if he were to engage, we have to sort of think about what that would have looked like and and who he would have been trying to rally and and sort of used to, to sort of put pressure on, on, on the senators to get behind this. And, you know, then, then you very quickly get into the fact that, that, that a lot of the diehard, you know, Trump-based folks um, in, you know, a place like Ohio, if he's trying to put pressure on Portman or a place like West Virginia, putting pressure on um, Shelley Moore Capito, that the, a lot of those voters, of course, would in fact be, be really be hurt by this bill. And, and some of them may not be so aware of that, but some of them are on some level. And and so it's if you're if you're you know rallying your quote base behind this thing when in fact this this thing is going to is not going to be so great for a lot of the people in your base right there you just he, he just he just runs up against that basic contradiction. And and so yeah, I'm just not sure what a more engaged Trump on this if you were sort of somewhat more conventional and somewhat more you know, able, able to sort of just get off Twitter and do typical presidential stuff on a bill like this, what that could even, what that would have accomplished given those contradictions. One last question. Back in 2010 and uh, 2009, critics of the Republican approach on health care said that they were missing a major opportunity, right? And I think David Frum uh, made this argument quite a bit at the time, which is that Democrats and Obama in particular were desperate for some sort of bipartisan credibility for health care reform. And there are, there were moments uh, during the fight for the Affordable Care Act, and specifically, I think, after uh, Scott Brown got elected, that Republicans could have basically outstretched their hand and said, we will, we will work with you for something less comprehensive, but advances our policy, advances our policy interests, advances some of your policy interests, and kind of create a new, more conservative status quo for health care. But this was not the path Republicans took. McConnell and other Republican leaders rejected this. And what we got was an Affordable Care Act, which was probably more liberal than it would have been, you know, it had Republicans um, outstretched their hand. Fast forward seven years, uh, we have the Trump Care has failed. The Affordable Care Act it seems to have, will live to see another day. And once again, Republicans kind of decided not to even talk to Democrats about this, thus, in the end, kind of enshrining this much more liberal status quo. So my question 
is taking that viewpoint and kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, uh, could you make the argument that in the end, Mitch McConnell was very much a failure, that winning all these political victories has actually done quite little for advancing key Republican uh, priorities? Well, it certainly could. I mean, this this outcome really does seem to vindicate that David Frum argument, um, arguing from the conservative perspective that that the Republicans should have negotiated on the bill back in nine and ten, two thousand nine and ten, to try to tug it more to the center and the right. And now we're left with this this really this Democratic bill that looks like it's probably going to that it may well survive, assuming that Trump can't kill it sort of administratively. And it, it really does, it calls into question Mitch McConnell's whole approach of, of prioritizing the, the political win, the, you know, winning the next cycle over a, over advancing a substantive agenda. And I guess back then in 2010, you could have argued, well, um, McConnell just figured that better to make this look like a democratic bill that, that they're shoving down the country's throats and then we'll get a big backlash out of it and we'll be able to take office and do away with it. But look what happened. They did take office with all branches of government, and they were unable to do away with it. So that, that basic gamble failed. And But one but also has to wonder if, if this was even McConnell's calculus at all, that we could do away with it down the line. Because again, for him, uh, prioritizing majorities and status over, over a substantive agenda it may simply be enough for him that he is in the majority now, is the majority leader, even if even if it means that you have a quite democratic health care bill that is now it looks like it may now in fact remain a status quo. I have been speaking with Alec McGillis, a reporter with ProPublica and author of The Cynic, the political education of Mitch McConnell. Thank you so much, Alec, for joining me today. Thanks so much, Jamal. We are done with today's show. As always, before we go, please take the time to go to Twitter and find us. We're at RealTrumpCast. That's at RealTrumpCast. At the Twitter account, you'll see news, you'll see headlines, you'll see us discussing Trump in real time. Also, if you haven't already, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The ratings and reviews help others find us and help promote us in the larger universe of podcasts. Today's show was produced by Jason DeLeon. Thank you to Afim Shapiro for the engineering help. And as always, a great thanks to John D. Domenico, our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Jamel Bowie, and thanks for listening to TrumpCast.